Last week I shared, last week was our anniversary service, if you remember, and we shared a little bit about the 12 years and what it meant. So I shared that on Sunday, um, but I'm not going to repeat that because we already shared that on a Wednesday night, uh, and we talked about it on Sunday as well. But I just felt in my heart this evening to just talk a little, to, a little bit to you um, about why we fast and about the attitude with which we should fast because we're, we're all coming into this. I'm saying that by faith. And don't Listen, there's no water off my back from one perspective if you don't do it, because between you and God, you'll be blessed if you do it. But it's, it's, I have to keep my backyard clean, and I have to do what God tells me to do, and you have to do the same. So I'm not your judge. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not asking anybody what they're doing, and neither should anybody be talking to each other about what they're doing. Just like you don't tell each other how much you tithe and give, you shouldn't really talk about the measure of your fast because it's a private thing, and we don't want competition and all that kind of carnality that goes with that, okay? But uh, if, if, one is, if one is going on, if the leader is going on, uh, God would have preferred the children of Israel to uh, have a reverential seeking God attitude at the bottom of the mount. Sinai instead of getting into all their nonsense that they got into. Uh, and so the same applies when one is going on with God. It's good that all, to some measure, do the same. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. And uh, did you notice that Joshua uh, tarried in the mount, the Bible says. Joshua represented leadership, and he, he, uh, he was very close to Moses, and he wasn't with the nonsense of going on down there. No. He was partway up the mountain, but he waited. Forty days he was there waiting, praying, and waiting and seeking God for Moses to come down. When Moses came down, remember, he met him, and he said, what is this I hear? Is it a sound of war? Uh, Joshua said, are they, are they like, is there a war? Are they, are they shouting like they're about to attack something? And no, oh, no, they're not doing that. They're having fun. They're playing the fool. And they're doing sexual immorality. And remember all that kind of nonsense with the worshiping of the calf and everything. But notice where Joshua was the whole time. Joshua wasn't down with the people having fun. Joshua was halfway up the mountain praying. And so leadership, if you're, if you're in leadership, you know who you are. If you're somebody that is licensed or ordained with me in the ministerial area, then you're automatically leadership. If you're somebody on our leadership team or you're a department head or anything like that, that means that uh, God expects, that's a type and shadow of Joshua, he expects, he expects the leadership to, uh, you may not be going the whole way. He, did, he didn't go all the way where Moses was, but he certainly went part of the way. Yeah, did you notice that? Amen. Physically, he only went part of the way. But that represents, he might not have done the whole fast. It doesn't say he fasted. 40 days. But so he probably did some form of a partial or a hybrid or something. But the point is that he was, he separated himself from the people as well. And he went up to seek God, even though it may not have been the full measure of what Moses did, but it showed his heart. And so I felt prompted by the spirit to say this, that the leadership, God is watching you. I feel prompted by the spirit of God to say this, that the leadership, God is watching you. He's looking for your heart, not for, not for religion, not for legalism, but he's looking for your heart. You may not do the same measure, neither did Joshua, but you have to do, in, in my opinion, uh, like Joshua's heart wanted to do something. And it's important. That doesn't mean God's not watching the people because I believe God is watching everybody. But there's a special onus on the leadership because that's why you're a leader. You're, that's, otherwise, you wouldn't be a leader, right? It's leadership have to set an example. They have, to, they have to encourage the rest of the people. So I encourage you, leadership, do it. Everybody do whatever it is that God has you do. 
whatever it is that God puts on your heart. But remember, unity is everybody doing the same thing. Have a quick peek here. We've got a number of verses to go through today. So are you okay to, to just look in your Bible with me a little bit today? But Ephesians chapter 4, just very quickly, because I've got a number of verses. Just read with me now, please. It says uh, in verse 16, Ephesians 4, 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted, by that which every joint supplies, the whole body fitly joined and compacted, that's unity, yeah. by which every joint brings their supply. So every joint, every individual has a supply, and when they bring that supply in a spirit of unity, what happens? According, for, for, pause that, now let me just say this. For, which every joint supplies according to the effectual working of the measure of each part. So I have an effectual working of a measure, and, I'm, and I am a joint that brings a supply according to my measure. And Vesna brings a supply. She's a joint that brings her supply according to the effectual working of her measure. Her measure and my measure may not be the same, but we both have a supply. We both bring something to the table and to God. It's very important because without her supply, there's a hole. Without that one puzzle piece, I don't care if you get all the other 399. Without the one, everybody notices that something's wrong. Every supply is, it matters. So every person brings their supply according to the measure of their part. Remember, they do it to fit jointly together. So you bring a supply according to your measure and there's a unified everybody bringing it at the same time. Do you understand? Yeah. And then what happens? It says makes increase of the body. We want to increase, increase in the anointing, increase in revelation, increase in miracles, increase in favor, increase naturally, increase spiritually, increase in every area. It says increase, so that means every area. God's not limiting it, okay? Now, he especially emphasizes the increase of love because he says in the edifying of, himself, of itself in love. That means God wants increase in love, but he wants your love walk to get even stronger. So everybody, I'm giving you scripture now, brings a supply according to their measure. Notice everybody still brought a supply, but it was according to their measure. So Kim is going to bring a supply during this fast that is going to be of her measure, and it might be different to Mary Chris's supply and the measure. She, they're both bringing a supply, but they're bringing their measure. Nobody's business what your measure is. It's between you and Jesus, and that's why you have to say, Lord, what is my measure of my supply? I'll do it joyfully, not whining, because those that are willing and obedient, you can't just do it, you gotta be willing. You gotta be happy, you gotta be joyful, you gotta have the attitude line up with the action. Otherwise, you lose the blessing, you lose the reward. So, Lord, I'm gonna be willing and obedient, I'm gonna do my part, and, 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 and if I'm a leader, I'm expected even to go a little bit higher than the rest. But I'm going to do my part, and, and during this time, you're going to deal with me. I'm talking as if I were you. You're going to deal with me about areas in my life that need to be adjusted. You're going to deal with me about areas of flesh that I need to crucify. You're going to reveal some stuff in your word to me that I've never seen before. Maybe through preaching, but also through my own study of it, that you'll speak to me. I'm expecting you to meet me, Father. I'm expecting you to do this because I'm turning aside. So have a look at Exodus, please, chapter 3, Exodus 3, and I shared this again. I'm, like I said, Sundays I'm kind of repeating on Wednesdays, but because some of it is overlapping and I already shared about the, the 12 and what it meant last Wednesday, I won't get into that again. But some of the stuff on Sunday I didn't share on Wednesday, so I'm, I'm telling you that now. Now Moses kept the flock, Exodus 3, 1, of Jethro his father and all the priests of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. 
And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither. In other words, don't come too close. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, but the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And of course, the rest of it talks about his assignment. Just remember, every time God tells someone to take their shoes off, that is holiness. But what is holiness? People always think holiness in the wrong way. People think holiness as I don't do bad things. That is part of holiness. It is not all of holiness. Holiness is far more than not doing bad things. Holiness, it means separation. God is separating you for a purpose. That is why we are called a holy nation, royal priesthood. We are separate. We are in the world, but not of the world. We can't act like them and talk like them and watch TV like them because we're not of them. That's why they called the holiness movement that a lot of the great generals came out of, which a lot of modern Christians mock because you call it legalism, but there was, but some of those modern Christians now are touching unclean things. So we don't want the legalism of the holiness movement where you can't do anything and everything's a sin, but there was also a purity that they had where they wouldn't touch the unclean thing because God forbids us to touch the unclean thing. So now the modern Christian and the modern church just says, you can go watch any movie you want. You can do whatever you want. You can send lewd pictures of yourself over Instagram if you want because God understands and God, God gets, see, they, so they're touching unclean things. They're, they're in the world and they're of the world. And they wonder why God doesn't do much through them. But see, that's a, that's a modernistic version. A lot of churches have that attitude today. And, and yet the old time Pentecostal holiness movement, it's a, that was actually a movement called that. And they, and they were extreme. I mean, they didn't touch anything. For example, um, uh, the, the guy that ran four square churches and, and even, even uh, Amy Simple McPherson, who was in Foursquare, and her son ran Foursquare. And, and I'm to his dying day. I read a journal entry that they published of him. And, and to his dying day, he never once went to a movie theater, not one time. Oh, wow. Wow. And now, <laughs> I don't think I would have been uh, promoted in the holiness movement. <laughs> Because I've been to a few movie theaters in my life, as I'm sure all of you have. Now, is, is, it, is it wrong to watch Finding Nemo? No. Is it wrong to go to a movie house? Is that action sin? No. Now, what is played can be sin. But the act of going there is not sin. But you see, they had to draw a line somewhere because they were trying to let people know we're in the world, but we're not of it. So in their day, the movie house was like bars. It was considered very evil. And so they drew that line and they never crossed that line. Now we today, years later, look at that as a little bit of legalism. And so we don't want to be legalistic, but we don't want to lose the preciousness of what they had either. Because what they had was a, a, a defined lifestyle where they said, Father, I'm not, I'm, I'm just not going to, I, I'm separate. I'm holy unto the Lord. Holiness is not just about doing bad things. Holiness is about being separated by God. So when you see him say, take your shoes off, this is a holy moment. The ground they were on, were on that stand is holy. 
what he's saying is, you are now separated unto me for my plan. Now, what is my assignment for you? Go to Pharaoh and do all that stuff. Now, I'm going to give you the anointing to accomplish. Whenever he gives you a responsibility, he gives you the anointing to fulfill that. Amen. He has to because you can't do it in your own. Do you understand? So one, one railway track, one railway track is responsibility or the assignment. The other railway track is the power of God. You have to have both or the train can't work. You have to have God tell you to do something and then he has to empower you to do it or you can't do it anyway. So he says now, and that represented the rod. He said, put your rod down, turn into a snake. He said, now you take this. This represents my power and you go and do the assignment. Do you see? He was separated. He was, that was separated to an assignment. There was a holy attitude there and God then gave him the assignment and anointed him for that assignment. You could say he received a mantle if you want to look at it that way. So God takes Jesus. He said, I want you to come out and I'm separating you. Now he was out without sin. So he didn't need to be separated from sin, but he still went to a private place with God for 40 days. God separated him, gave him that assignment for his three and a half year ministry, anointed him because he came out in the power of the spirit and he went out and did the assignment. Do you see Elisha, he comes and God, he goes through all these things and then all of a sudden he's there. He had, gets the assignment and the anointing to fulfill that assignment. Yes. Amen. Do you understand? Yes. And in his case, God separated him from his father and he had to keep his eyes on, on the prize. Yes. And if you look, all the parallels are the same. The pattern is always the same with God. So Joshua, he comes there, he comes through Gilgal, which is his, uh, getting his flesh under control and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's what it represents for us. For them it was a physical act, but for us it's a heart act. Paul says, circumcise your hearts. He comes there, the angel, the, uh, the Jesus, the captain of the host of the army of the Lord with a sword comes and says, take your shoes off, Joshua. The ground that you stand on is holy. And that was just, just west of the Jordan River, just in that little Jericho plain, just before you hit the city of Jericho. Why was he doing that? I am separating you. You have become holy. You are now mine. I am separating you to this assignment and I'm giving you the anointing to fulfill it. Amen. That was the assignment and the anointing to fulfill the assignment. So what is the mantle? It's an assignment and it's the anointing to fulfill the assignment. The mantle is Moses' staff. The mantle is Elisha's garment. Do you understand? The mantle is David's ring, his kingly ring that gave him the king's authority that nobody else had but the, but the king, his robe and his, and his ring. Do you understand? So the mantle is that anointing on an assignment, but it's the assignment, but it's also the anointing for the assignment. Praise the Lord. I'm, he's not here tonight, but one of these days I'm going to have my brother-in-law share because he had a supernatural experience, a very holy experience with God. I find it interesting. God doesn't always show me. I have a role. She has a role. We're co-laborers and we're one. Sometimes God does certain things with her that he doesn't do with me because he doesn't need to do everything with me because I've got her. Now, because her and her brother, they're twins and they have a, a close spiritual bond, Many times when God does something with her, it's not every time, of course, the majority of times she's alone, but occasionally her brother is with her because they share a, an unusual spiritual link between them because of the way they grew up and the way they prayed together and, and the callings on each of their lives. Do you understand? It's not because of her and her brother, it's because of her and I. But her brother is witness to certain things that happen because God does certain things together with them. 
and they had a supernatural experience, which I want him to share with his own words in an upcoming service, where they were, they were walking and praying in a park, which they often do, and, uh, and, and the, <laughs> Joey actually saw, he, he saw the mantle. It actually descended, he had a, he had a vision. And he saw this mantle, like, it, I don't know how, it's hard to describe natural, natural words with spiritual things, but, and you, I'll let him explain it in his own way, but what he told me is he said it's like this, this, this power, this pulsating mantle looking like thing that was filled with power, he said, beyond anything you could ever imagine. And he said he could see it and it was hovering there. His eyes were open in the spirit and he saw it. And the Lord was showing him, this is the mantle Pastor Craig's been talking about. He was giving him an insight into the realm of the spirit about that, not just what, what it looked like, that's not the important thing, but, but the power that was in that, that anointing that we call the mantle, he said it, it, was, it was ancient. And, and, and that's why when the Holy Ghost started talking to me about generate, I didn't do it because he said it, but the Lord started dealing with me, this is generational. This is bigger than you. There have been people that have been praying for a long time that are in heaven, that have been praying for the assignments to be fulfilled in the earth, specifically in Toronto. And, and that mental, that, that assignment to fulfill those prayers of the saints, it's ancient from that perspective. It's not just something that's just created out of thin air. It, there was an ancient quality to it for lack of a better way to explain it. And he said the power of it was so overwhelmingly, Jenny, According to him, Jenny, he said, you, you actually passed, you were slain in the spirit and fell in the bushes. No, no, no. Well, that's what he told me. How did it, no, I, I, you started to, lost you lost your strength. Yeah, I lost my strength. Did you, did you kind of go by I the bushes? Staggered. No, I just staggered. by the bushes. Well, he said that you had gone into the bushes. So uh, you <laughs> put the two stories together. You staggered. He said, gone into, okay, you staggered into the bushes. The point is that you could feel that power. That's what I'm trying to say. Whether you passed out or not is not really the point. But the point is, is that you recognize that something supernatural was happening. And it was an ancient generational thing. And the Lord, and he said, Craig, he said, I don't know, you can't really explain things in English sometimes. You know it, you're seeing it, but you're knowing it by the Spirit. I wish God had showed it to me, but he decided to show it to him, and that's fine with me because I'm paying attention. I'm a good student. But he said, he said, Pastor Craig, he said, you have no, he said, it's impossible to explain the power that was in that anointing. The power was so overwhelming. He said it was the kind of power where I, I knew I was, and, and he lives a clean life, but he said, I knew if I touched it, I'd die. It was that kind of like the extreme holiness of God, the extreme reverence of God, the extreme power of God in an assignment, yeah. in an anointing that was there in a, in a physical form so he could kind of try to grasp it. Yeah. And he said, I knew if I touched it, I could die. It was that. And he said, I knew that if, if anybody had even a tiny portion of that power on them, Raising the dead would be nothing. Casting out the strongest devil would be nothing because it was something overwhelmingly strong. Amen. And it wasn't a very long experience, but it marked him. And it marked you. Amen. And he's been talking to me about that and, 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 and how <laughs> we don't have to. He encourages me sometimes by saying, Pastor Craig, do what you have to do. do. Do all that you have to do in the natural. You have to do certain things. God works with the natural. But you don't understand that anointing, <laughs> that anointing will carry the heavy load. Yeah. That anointing will move what looks impossible 
to move. That anointing, that mantle has so much power in it. It is the empowerment to do the assignment. And with it, all things are easy. Without it, things are laborsome. So I say that to say that God, God likes to give people a measure of His glory. It really is a measure of glory to fulfill divine assignments. Now I got home. I don't know if I'll get to my notes, but let me just go with it. I got home. On my way home, I was praying on Sunday because we were talking in the second service a little bit about, a little bit about that, well, about mantles and assignments and about Toronto. I made some comments about that revival that Dr. Sumrall didn't approve of. And neither did most of the people that we respect approve of it. Not because everything was wrong, but because a lot of it was wrong. It started in the, in the spirit and probably ended in the flesh. And so, and, and the Lord, I had said something that he, he didn't, he kind of corrected me, but he was helping me understand. And he said to me, he said, I had said to the, I had said to the public on that Sunday afternoon, I had said, now this, this, uh, this, there's a thing that people sometimes sense something, God wants to do something, and they'll reach out and grab it, but they don't know, they don't double check, if, are they assigned to it? I give the example of Pastor Nancy being in Dr. Dad Hagen's meeting, and she knew the word of prophecy, but she knew beyond the word of prophecy there was a check that it wasn't for her to give it, and that's a small thing, but in larger things, you better make sure that if you're going to grab a hold of a revival, that it's actually you're assigned to that revival, and it's not just you picking up to pray for it, for somebody else to do it. Okay? And then I'd said, so that, uh, that could, I'm not saying it was, I said that could have been why it failed, because they weren't assigned to it anyway, and they just grabbed it. But I'm not saying that is, it could have. And I said, also, it could have been that they weren't ready. And the Lord said, there's a third thing. He said, there's a third, and he gave me an example. He said, don't just say those two. He said, you have to clarify. He said, that's how he said it to me. He said, when there's, a, when there's an assignment for a move of God to happen somewhere, First of all, the person has to know that they're assigned to it because some people try to grab it and they're not supposed to grab it and then they die young or there's a problem and it fails. So you have to know that I already said that. And you also have to know that you're ready for it, that the timing of it is right because if you do it too early before you've got the pillars in place, the, 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 the demons that are released to abort that will win because you're not, you don't have the integrity and you don't have the knowledge of the word and the revelation and, all, and the submission to fatherhood and all that stuff. So there's pillars in place. But the Lord also said, it's possible. He said this to me in driving. That's why I'm clarifying because I said it, I want to clarify. Revelation is progressive. He said, yes, it's one thing to take it without being assigned. Yes, it's another thing to take it and not be ready. He said, but it is, there's a third option. People can be assigned it and people can be, have, be in the right timing of it, but still lose the anointing, end the revival early because they get away from the scripture while they're in it. And he said, now, will you look at Dad Seymour, William Seymour, he said he's a perfect example. He paid a price for it and he was assigned, no question about it. He was in the perfect timing and will of God, no question about it. the timing was right, but it still did not come to full fruition because he got away from the scripture. He got away from the word. He got, he got worried about hurting people's feelings and got away from the word. That, that minister down in, in the Texas area, he was definitely assigned to it. He was in the perfect timing. Uh, Brother, uh, Brother Norval Hayes confirmed both those points, but because he got away from the word regarding finances, he got covetous. He lost the anointing. So it's possible that somebody could be assigned, could be in the right timing, but because they get away from the word, they undo what God's trying to do. So it's so important that we practice staying in the word before the move of God comes so that when the move of God comes, we're skillful at following the word. 
Do you understand? And we're not going to bow to the pressure of people that may try to pressure us to get away from the Word. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this, this, this mental, this, this assignment, this powerful anointing, it's really, and there's the other thing he said to me, I'm trying to get, get it out, but it's a little hard. But he said to me, he said, son, you're talking about the mantle as, and you're making it sound like it's only for Toronto. And I said, but Lord, it is only for Toronto. I said, because she said, Simple McPherson said, take my anointing, my mantle to Southern Ontario where I grew up. I have not forgotten about it. Have, take my anointing for a revival in Southern Ontario. And doctor, when the mantle, the roof disappeared and he saw it, he specified in the back, well, he specified publicly and in the back room, God has been endeavoring to do something in this city. So he was connecting this city with that mantle. So for two reasons, I said, Lord, it is for Toronto. And he spoke to me. And this is important that I say this because he's teaching me as we go. I don't know everything. I can't wait till I know everything to then say something because I'll never say anything because I don't know everything. I never am going to know everything. I'll be a mime. I have to just say what I know. And then as God wants to increase it and tweak it, he'll have to do that. But he said to me, he said, it is for Toronto, but it is not only for Toronto. He said, it is a mantle upon your ministry for all areas that I've called you to around the world. But it is specifically, it is primarily, if I could put that, the first thing on the list for that mantle to accomplish is the move of God and the help and the preaching and the preaching of repentance and whatever it is that God has in his mind for Toronto specifically. That is number one on the list. But he said, you think there's only one thing on the list. He said, there's many things on the list the mantle is going to accomplish. You thinking only one because you know it's the number one. But just because it's number one doesn't mean there's not a number two, three, four, five, and six. He said, that mantle is for the entire, everything I've called you in this ministry. All the power needed for that is in that mantle. And then he reminded me of Joey because when God, when God, Joey saw that and then, you know, that they had that holy experience. It really freaked them out. And then they, when they were praying, the Lord started to reveal to, to my brother-in-law how that, that assignment that was for our ministry, for me in this church, that he had seen. He'd seen it in a tangible form so he could understand it. But that assignment, that mental, and then he saw, God revealed to him, he said, there was a, a mental like that. Not like that. I'm not saying I don't understand all the exact like or not like. But the Lord was saying, just as there's a mantle for an assignment on this ministry, he said there's other ministries have had mantles assigned to them to accomplish their global works. For example, he showed him the mantle that was on Oral Roberts and that came down to Richard Roberts that was for a global work. And then he showed him a mantle that was on other ministries that were for not just that city that they were in, but for a global work. And so Joey started, remember Jenny, he started talking to me and said, Craig, I know you're saying Toronto, but he said, this, this thing is so beyond power. It, it's not just for the city. It's for, it's for the whole vision. And I kind of rejected when he said that. I didn't, not to his face, not to make a fight, but I, no, it's for Toronto because she said Toronto and Dr. Dufresne said for this city. So I wasn't open to any other interpretation. But on Sunday driving home, the Lord started dealing with me. He took me back to what Joey had said. And he said he was right. He said it is, it is for every part of the vision that I've called this ministry to. There's enough power in that mantle to accomplish all of it. He said that is the mantle for this ministry. But the number one thing on the list, the, the first 
The first thing that I'm going to, not the first in terms of chronological, but the primary purpose of it is yes, for Canada and for this area. But it is not limited only to the Canada and this area. He said, you will operate that when you go to Africa. You will operate that when you go in other places. He said, because that mantle is for, it's for the ministry. It's for the whole vision of the ministry. It's that empowering, it's the staff. It's the, it's the garment that Elisha picked up. It's the, it's the empowering that we need to accomplish the assignment that God has given. You said, but we've already been doing the assignment. Yes, but not under that mantle. We're, we've still been qualifying for it. We've been showing honor for it. We've been in a long holding tank period and following God's instructions and going through Bethel and going through Jericho and going through Jordan and going through many years before that. Because he's, he's, he has long patience. God doesn't rush. He doesn't believe in drive through He believes in sitting down That's right. and waiting patiently. He's been waiting for me to do it, for you, the congregation, to do it. And now that we've come into our, past our childhood phase, I don't think that's coincidental. I don't believe it's coincidental at all that now that the church has finally passed this childhood, this foundation laying, 12 years is over. We're coming into this new season where God can trust us more. And at that time, this assignment, not just for Canada, but for, for everything else that he's called us to do starts to operate. It starts to operate. We're not gonna, we're probably not gonna experience 100% of it overnight, but it starts to operate. Do you understand? And it's going to grow in the years to come. Praise God. I don't know why I just, I wasn't planning on it, but I just felt it was important to say some of those things on record. It's important that I, that when God tweaks me about things that I, that I add to what I've said previously so that we have a full record of it. And in no way am I saying that, that those individuals in that previous revival or the, or the Texas revival or the Brownsville revival or any of them, I'm not trying to say that I don't know. I'm not God. I'm not their judge. I don't know which part of those three areas they failed in. But I just know if a revival fails, one of those three areas failed. Either you weren't supposed to do it to begin with, or you were out of the timing if you were assigned to it, but you'd started at the right, wrong time, or you were assigned and you started it right, but you got away from the word, and so the devil came in. It's got to be one of those three things, because a revival, a move, is not supposed to end in a bad way. It's not supposed to have a detraction. It's not supposed to hurt the body of Christ. It's supposed to aid. Do you understand? And so, but look at how merciful God in his foreknowledge knew those things were going to fail. But he still did what he could do with the people that would follow him as long as, 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 long as they would follow him, he would bless. And then when they got off, you know, he, he, can't, he can't put his blessing on that. He has to remove that a little bit because he can't put a stamp on things that are carnal or that are demonic. But notice how God didn't disqualify them before they even started knowing in his foreknowledge that it wasn't going to work out fully. Look how merciful he is. Look how merciful he is. So if he's merciful with them, he's merciful with us. Oh, we're not trying to make a revival. And the leaders of that airport thing got together. Years later, I read about it in a book they wrote. And they said, God, we, we want God to give us another revival. And they all got together and they all prayed and they all waited for many days and they fasted. And they all did this thing to try to make another revival. And at the end of all of that, it was as dead as when they first started praying. So they all left, went back to their respective cities and churches. And he said, I guess God doesn't want to do it. Wow. And you know what? He's 100% right. God didn't want to do it. Yeah. And I don't know if you can just gather people together because they make a decision that God should move. Yeah. I don't know if that's the right way to do it. I think you just need to be praying in general. And when God's ready, he'll say, I want you to do this. Yeah. You can't manufacture a move of God. 
you have to be ready, but you just position yourself right. And then all of a sudden when God, when it's that set time and you've passed, paid the price and you've done right, you're not forcing his hand. Do you understand? Prayer is not primarily to try to change God. Prayer is for us to receive what God has already provided for us to receive. And a lot of people mix prayer with, a, 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 I'm going to make God do something. And so I'm going to pray. That is a wrong attitude and God does not honor that. And God does not answer prayers like that. So anytime you're coming for, to force God to do something or to twist his arm, well, don't you know I'm a good Christian? Don't you know I gave a lot of money in the offering? Don't you know I fast? You see that you're trying to pay for something with your actions. And, then, and God does not like that because you don't get things because you fast or because you've given money. You get things because you're in faith. Faith is the coin of heaven, nothing else. Without faith, you can't even please him. Without faith, he can't get over things to you. Praise God. So I just, I just kind of felt, Jenny, that we need to talk a little bit about this tonight. So you see here, though, did you notice now, pay attention. Moses sees the angel. And I kind of thought to myself, we're giving Moses a bit more credit maybe than he deserves. Because if I saw an angel in a fiery bush, you think I'd just walk past it? I don't know. But angel, he saw an angel in the fire. And then he, number one, spoke and said, let me turn aside to look. And then he, number two, acted and actually turned aside from the sheep to look. Did you notice that God didn't do anything until he acted? Did you notice God did nothing when he spoke? It's easy, Sandy, to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go and fast. I'm going to turn aside. God don't believe what you say. He believes what you do. So you can say what you want, but when you actually do it, then God calls to you from the bush. And so I wonder, God is obviously trying to make it very I'm going to say a word that is, doesn't maybe have a good connotation, but I don't mean it negatively. He, God is trying to tempt him. Now, we know God doesn't tempt. But God is trying to make this experience. He, God wants his attention. He's trying to make it almost irresistible to get his attention. So he doesn't just make a bush on fire. Maybe he would have ignored that. But he puts an angel in the fire. I mean, God is trying, what I'm trying to say symbolically, he's trying to make this irresistible for us. He's trying to... That's what all this preaching is about. He's trying to let us know this is not coincidental. This has been planned. This has been set. You're in my will. Look at how this has unfolded. You couldn't have made it up. I'm trying to show you. I'm trying to make it irresistible. I'm trying to show you this thing that I want you to have, this thing called this assignment, this mantle. It's glorious. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want it to be too vague where you might pass it by. I'm going to put an angel in the bush so that for sure you see it. I want you to wonder at it. I want you to marvel at it. Why? Why? Why is he making it so tantalizing? Because he wants Moses to leave the sheep and turn aside. He doesn't want him to accidentally miss it and walk on by. So he makes it dramatic. And what I'm saying to you with all this stuff that we've been preaching for now almost four years, it is like a dramatic thing. It is for me. He's made this dramatic in terms of how this is all unfolded and how he's used the parallels through the Bible and how he's used Randy and how he's used Pastor Nancy and how he's used Jerry. This, he's made this in a, in a way like a burning bush with an angel. He's made it dramatic so that I won't miss it. Are you with me? He doesn't want us to miss our season. 
He cried over Jerusalem and said, you missed your visitation. You could have had peace and prosperity, but you missed it. He doesn't want Moses to miss it, so he makes it dramatic. He doesn't want promise of life to miss it, so he makes this over four years dramatic. So that what, what, to what end? Not just so we can talk about stuff. So that you and me will look and then say, I'm going to turn aside and then do. Because it's not till he did where God started to talk to him. And what is the turning aside from the sheep? It is us taking some time between November 2nd and December 11. It is, that's what the framework is. So don't pick your own framework. That's rebellion. Stay within the framework that I've selected. Now, within that framework, you are to, what does the sheep represent? Well, for me, it's obvious. It represents the congregation. What does it represent for you? For all of us, it represents the same thing. It's our daily lives, our daily responsibilities. I'm a pastor, so I have to take care of sheep. If you're a computer engineer, you'd be turning away from your computer. If you're a mechanic, you're turning away from your wrench. If you're a truck driver, you turn away from your truck. I'm not saying for you to quit your job. I'm not saying for you to take a leave of absence. I'm not even telling you to take vacation. You do what's in your heart. But something inside of you has to look at your daily life, which is your sheep. And you need to say like Moses, I will turn aside to look at this wonder, to see God. And as you actually start to do it, not just talk about it, God is going to call some of you from the midst of the burning bush and say, Vida, Vida, and say, you know, Danielle, Danielle. He wants to talk to us. He wants to communicate to you. He wants to call to you for in this moment, this special moment that he has set aside for our congregation. He wants individually to get things over, even to the young people, to everybody. He wants to talk to Quinn and Cole. He wants to talk to all of you. Older, young, veteran or rookie, he wants to talk to you. But he don't respect just you saying you're going to do something. He respects you doing it. So I'm asking you, do what I'm doing and turn aside to whatever is the measure of your part. You might take a week off. You might take a day off. You might not take any time off, but you do some things differently in that 40 days. You may fast some kind of food, which is the biblical way. You may fast other things which distract you. But don't just have a glorified diet. If you don't pray, it's for nothing. It's a glorified diet to not eat, but not pray. So whatever you do, even if it's, I'm not going to be on the television as much, or I'm not on the television at all, whatever your measure is, take that time to seek God. Don't just take that time to go and, and, and just twiddle your thumbs and have a nap. You might as well have watched the television for all the good it did you. It's not just a, you understand what I'm saying? See, we get so legalistic and religious. Well, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to eat sweets. But, you know, but yeah. the, they, they don't eat sweets. Yeah. But they don't pray anymore during the not eating the sweets. So what was the point? All you did is improve your, 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 your blood sugar levels. But you didn't improve your spirit at all. God's not looking for as much for the thing that you're fasting. He's looking for the prayer. He's looking for the heart. He's looking for you to say, I'm turning aside. That's what he's looking for. I turn aside, oh God, to now to come and to seek you in the burning bush. I am, this is holy. I take my shoes off. This is a holy moment for me, not just me, you. This is, a ho- this is you saying, God, I turn aside 
in whatever you lead me as my measure. This is my holy moment with you. I start to seek you in this 40-day period, bringing my measure and my supply. Lord, I, I, this is my time to take my shoes off. This is my time where you are helping separate me for the vision that you've called me and Pastor Craig and everybody else to do. And this is my time for you to empower me for that mentor to come start working on me and with me like him and everybody else. Because if you're going to separate me, you're going to give me the anointing to do it. Amen. So speak to me from the bush, Father. Speak to me. Reveal things. Show me. Amen. Amen. Not for you to go and change the vision that God's giving the pastor. Not for you to go and split the church and start your own work. That's not what the motive. What you're saying is, God, what is my role? Show me the business you've called me to start. Show me how to evangelize. Lord, I have, a, have a, something in my heart. I want to win 10 souls. Lord, show me how to do it. Give me power to do it. Whatever your area is set aside, you bring your supply in prayer and expect God to reveal certain things to you. Because this is an important season. This mental time is not just for me, it's for all of us. Praise God, Jenny. Hallelujah. It's for all of us. And all of us need to turn aside from the sheep. I'm turning aside in maybe more of an extreme way, but you don't have to do that. You do it your way. But please turn aside. Joshua turned aside. Moses turned aside. Hallelujah. Elisha turned aside from the distraction and ripped his garment in order to receive what God had for him. Amen? Amen. They all have the same pattern. Let's do this. Let's do this. It's upon us. It's coming up in a couple weeks. It's upon us. Hallelujah. Now, turn with me, please, if you would. Hallelujah. The Lord is so kind and so so good to us that he would let us the privilege of doing this together. Matthew 17, while you're turning to Matthew 17, that same morning, August 30th, when he told me, asked me if I would receive this this fast, if I would do it, and I said yes, and I was very emotional and very kind of scared and very, uh, how am I going to handle it physically? And that's when he said the sustaining anointing will be there. That's when he said when you tried to do this 20 years ago, you were in the flesh. I didn't author it, but now I am authoring it. I'll help you. That's when he said you're not going to you're not going to have any hunger pains. And then Jenny confirmed it with that verse. Afterward, Jesus hungered. That's when he said to me, the way this saying anointing is going to work is by every word of God. That's what Jesus said to Satan. I'm not here for the nourishment of the bread. I'm here for the nourishment from the word of God, every word of God. So he said, I want you to really study my word in depth. I want you to study it cover to cover. That same time, about an hour and a half after that, I was, hour and a half after that, I had a very, I won't get into the details, but a very dramatic experience, probably one of the most dramatics I've ever had, where the presence of God came into the room, and I began to weep, and I started to, this, I started to prophesy, really, uh, I don't, I guess it was, yeah, it was prophecy, but it was so heart-wrenching, and it was so from the depth of my, it was, my mind had nothing to do with the words, believe me. Prophecy, your mind is not engaged. I mean, it's engaged that you have to form the words and say them, but it doesn't originate. It's not coming from here. Sometimes you're more aware of the fact that it's not coming from here than other times. Sometimes, depending on how strong the anointing is, it's you're more aware that your mind is completely disengaged and everything is coming like a river, a torrent, uh, an explosion out of your spirit. Sometimes it's stronger than other times. Well, this was probably the strongest I've ever had over 30 years on that morning in terms of the, the, the pure, 
barrenness of it coming out of my spirit and the utter void of my mind's involvement whatsoever. Can I say that? I don't know how, I don't know how much more strongly to say that. But it was 100% God and 0% me. I was just the mouthpiece that was speaking it. And these words came out of my mouth. I began to interpret what I had been saying. And these words came out of my mouth, oh, to be counted worthy, to walk in the footsteps of the master. Oh, for the honor of walking in the path of the Lord. And I recorded it. I got it on a recording and I wrote it out. And I've been saying that and repeating that as a confession every day. But God showed me something about fasting that I've never seen before. We are so carnal the way we see things as humans. We look at it as a scary thing. We look at it as a loss. We look at it as, look what I don't get to have, which is food. God looks at it the opposite. He looks at it as a joy, and he looks at it what you get to gain. And what we look at it as, I have to do this. God looks at it as, this is a tremendous honor. You get to do this. Not you have to do this. Man, I've never seen it that way before, Greg. I've always looked at it like a scary, ominous mountain, this thing called fasting. Which is why I guess most people don't do it because they, I think, look at it the same way. But when God is authoring it, it is, and when He asks you to do it, when He asks you, do you realize that He is entrusting you with a privilege? It is actually an honor. It's like a gift. He's saying to you, I'm asking you to, to walk this path, the same walk, path I walked. This is an honor for you to do this, son. Stop looking at it like what you're giving up and look at it like this is a privilege. You should be thanking me that you have a 40-day fast, not wondering how you're going to get through the 40-day fast. Then he said to me, he said, I don't author every 40-day fast. A lot of people fast, but God didn't author it. That's why it doesn't accomplish much in their life because God didn't come to them and tell them. I think it's very nice that people want to do 40-day fast or any kind of fast. I think they're amazing people because I'm not one of them, Kim. I'm not going to give up my food for nothing. So I don't understand people that just do it and God didn't even ask them to do it. To me, that they're like saints. But some people, God, God does not always author every time somebody fasts. But when he does author it, that's what we're after when he authors it. What he's saying is I, Jesus is saying, I am asking you, Lorraine, to do this. This is a tremendous privilege that you get to do what I'm asking you to do. Because you need to look at it like, I can't believe I've been counted worthy, Lord, to do this. As opposed to, oh my God, I can't believe it. You know how hard this is going to be? I'm not even going to have my Starbucks. And, oh, I'm going to be, you know, we are so carnal with the way we look. And, he, and in, that, in, that, in that very holy moment, when the Holy Ghost spoke through me, I saw his heart that I've never seen before. I've never heard anybody say that before. In all my years, I've never heard anybody talk about this because I don't think most people spend much time fasting, so they probably don't preach about it. I'm just being honest with you. And God doesn't ask every minister to fast 40 days. And you shouldn't do it unless God authors it. You know, so I'm not saying just because God authored it with one doesn't mean he's going to author it with the next. And it doesn't mean the one that he authored with is better than the next. You just got to go with what God says. I don't think Brother Hagin ever fasted 40 days. Look at him. So you can't judge or, or think you're better or think that you're special because God asked you and not somebody else because it's just God's plan for you versus God's plan for them. Everybody should fast, but the measure of that supply is going to be unique. But if God asks whether it's one day or whether it's 40 days, for him to say, would you do this? Right. He's saying to you, I'm giving you the, I'm giving you the privilege. Right. You have been counted worthy. 
for me as your master to ask you to do this. It is a great honor to be asked by Jesus to fast. And when he said that through me, I saw it in a way I've never seen it before. Oh, for the honor to be counted worthy to walk in the footsteps of the master. He's asking me to do the same thing that he did and to the same measure that he did it. And that is the single greatest honors to date of my life, which is why I wish it was tomorrow. I'm I'm almost going to change the date. I'm not going to, but I'm I'm just annoyed. I need it to get here. I need all this nonsense prepare preparation garbage to be over. I need it to get here because I, I, I am anticipating walking in the footsteps and having the privilege of fasting. If you look at it like that, it will be the easiest thing you've ever done. It will be the most joyful thing you've ever done. If he asks you to fast for three days and he asks you to fast just you know, carbs, let's say, for example, and you might find that a bit hard, but every time you find it hard, go back and say, Father, you, you, you counted me worthy of this. You've asked me, me, little old me, to do this, to honor you in this way. Thank you for the privilege. Oh, what a light and easy joy and journey this is going to be for me. I can't, I'm, I'm just going to do it with joy. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to think negative thoughts about it. When it gets hard, when my flesh is fighting, I'm just going to put that flesh under and say, no, no, I don't follow you. I follow him. The master asked me to do this. If you've got to look at it like that, and then fasting will take on a whole new light to you. It won't be the scary monster that most people look at it. It will be the great gift, not the scary monster. Are you, some of you, I can tell you don't, you don't agree with me. Well, it's my job to tell you whether you want to hear it or whether you don't want to hear it. I'm trying to help you so when the hard time comes during the fast, and it will come. When your flesh is screaming, when the devil is yelling, when you feel dark, when you feel alone, when you feel all this pressure on you, at that moment, you have to lift your hands and say, thank you for the privilege of being asked by you to do this. And Lord, I'm not just fasting in my flesh because then I've got no anointing to help me. I'm not just picking a fast because then it's in the flesh. Lord, I'm only fasting what you asked me to do, which means your anointing will sustain me. Whether it's one day or 40, your anointing will sustain me because I'm in obedience to your spirit. Thank you for the privilege. I'm going to get through it in joy. You've got to make sure you're led and then keep the right mindset while you're executing it. Otherwise, you'll lose the joy of it. You'll lose the joy of it. Praise God. Hallelujah. The Lord is so kind that he would ask us to do this. And I'm so grateful that he's asked us to do this. Now, Matthew 17, one of the reasons why we fast, and we'll just, we'll end this in a few minutes because I know it's already 9.01. But um, let me just go a little bit further and then we'll conclude. Matthew 17 and after six days, Jesus taking Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringing them up unto a high mountain apart. That's right where we were, honey, in the north of Israel. That's uh, where Banyas is, up there far in the north. And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then, and so I guess Moses did enter the promised land, didn't he? <laughs> right? He just, in this experience, he got in. He got there. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good. For us to be here, if thou wilt, let us make thee here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. 
And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. Why do you think this experience happened? There's many theological reasons, but one of the main ones, they were encouraging him. They were talking to him. Do you know why? Because his death was imminent. I mean, he was having Elijah and Moses come talk to him about what he was going to go through and to tell him, look at the joy on the other side. You're going to bring many sons to glory. Talk about an encouragement session. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Taylor, you've got me and Corinne. I mean, Jesus had Moses and Elijah. I mean, think about the encouragement that he would have had. I mean, I kind of, I'm kind of Moses, she's kind of Elijah, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's wonderful. I mean, he, he, he's strengthened. Yes. And then, and then, his, and then awesome. his clothes become whiter than the whitest. Febreze can't do what happened here. <laughs> Tide, pods did not, the Bible says he became like the sun. And then he comes down from the mountain. Are you ready now? He comes down. And one of his disciples asked him, verse 10, saying, when they, when, Why then say the scribes that Elijah must come first? And when Jesus answered and said to them, Elijah truly shall come first and restore all things, but I say unto you that Elijah is come already. And they knew him not, and have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. In other words, these rotten ragamuffins killed, Eli killed the Elijah, and they're going to kill me, right? Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Because remember, the forerunner was coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah. That's what the prophet said. And Jesus, you can read it in Matthew eleven fifteen 15 later. Jesus says in Matthew eleven fifteen, 15, John the Baptist was Elijah. He actually said it in his preaching. So we know that Elijah, the, the forerunner, of the move of God, the greatest move of God in history, which was the life of Jesus, the forerunner was John, who came in the spirit and power of Elijah, which is why he even looked similar to Elijah, because Elijah was very hairy, and he wore very hairy garments. Even people from a distance would have said, he looks like the man physically, as well as his message. Okay, so they're talking now, and, and, and then uh, verse 14, when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. And sore vexed, for oftentimes he falls into the fire and oftentimes into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. And then Jesus answered, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring me, bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus separately and said, Why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If you have faith the grain of a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, Be removed yonder place, and it shall be removed, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. How be it? That word in the Greek means also, or but also. In other words, it's a connection word. He's saying, your reason you couldn't cast it out is because you didn't have enough faith. But also, but also, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. 
Jesus never talked much about fasting because when they, when they were attacked by the Pharisees, he said, when the bride, when the, well, listen, we're having a party here, boys. When the bridegroom's there, you don't go fasting, you celebrate. When the bridegroom leaves, then you are all depressed and you fast. You know, you're, you know, it's different, not depressed. You know what I'm saying. What he's saying is, I'm the son of, I'm God's son. I'm here. This is the party. There's not time to, for them to be mournful and fasting. But evidently, people say that out of context because they say, well, Jesus must have never fasted because he kept rebuking the Pharisees saying, we're not into fasting right now. When I go, then they'll fast. But that's not necessarily true. Jesus had to have fasted because he just cast it out and he just said, this, can kind, this kind can't come out except by fasting. So he had to have fasted. Now, I want you to notice he's just come out of this glorious experience on the mountaintop. Where the glory of God, he's had, a, he's, had a, he's had a meeting with God. Right? I would say this is equivalent to he's, he's just gone and spent time with God in a very dramatic way. Just like he was in the wilderness, but different. Just like Moses on the mountain, a little different. But he's just had a great experience with God. And he comes out of that glory and out of that prayer and fasting time. And what was the result? The hardest devil known to man, comes out like a, like a drink of water. And Jesus connected this kind of power that I'm demonstrating to you is because I have faith, but it's because I've been praying and fasting. So obviously, prayer and fasting has something to do with faith. Are you with me? I'm saying this to you because we're about to go into a season of prayer and fasting. There is going to be an increased measure of revelation from the Word which produces faith in our life during this season. And that faith that is encouraged and helped by fasting is going to release the power of God when we come out of that season. And I didn't connect the two in my mind, Brother Greg. A couple weeks ago he said, a new anointing is coming on you in the new year to cast out devils. And I didn't really connect the two and then I really realized afterward what he was talking about in this time of seeking me and fasting and prayer, that, that, a, that a greater measure of power to cast out demons is coming because certain demons can't go out without the fasting and prayer. But because you're giving yourself to that, there's that special thing that's coming to help, to help people that are bound and in bondage. What I'm trying to let you know is that you are like me and you better stop looking at yourself like a second class citizen because you don't have an REV in front of your name. You are like me in terms of you have an assignment. And there are people that you have in your life that you are going to face and maybe you don't know them now but they're coming that are totally bound by demonic power and you can't just say to them, well, I'll give you a Jesus card, come to church because many of them will not come. And you are their only hope. You're their only answer at that moment. And I'm not there and the leadership is not there and it's just little old you. But I got good news. Because you've been up on the mountain. And you've been with God. And you've been fasting and praying. And the glory is on you whether you feel it or not. And you're coming out from that experience into 2021. And when these kind of great needs come up before you, you can have confidence. I can help because it wasn't just my pastor that went up to the mountain and prayed. I went up to the mountain and prayed. I have had the glory of God come on me. I have paid the price. 
I have done this fasting and praying, this kind comes not out but by that. My faith is strong. If I lay my hands on you, you shall be healed. I'm telling you guys, it's not just me and it. Yes, invite them to church. If you can, get them here. I'll help them. But I, and some will, but many won't. I know he's not watching, so I can say it. But this precious young man at my son's school, the secular school, the Aaron District High School, and he's depressed, and people have been hearing him say he's going to kill himself. And, and don't, don't take that lightly when young people say that they're already depressed because many of them do it. That's, that's not just a cry wolf for many people. That's the real deal. And at times he gets so, he's so bound. My son tells me that he sometimes goes in the classroom and he's, he's whimpering in the corner like an animal. And he's whimpering and he's crying. Because he's so, his mind is on fire. And he can't stop these thoughts. And I said to Quinn, what do the teachers do? They must help him. And he says, Daddy, the teachers aren't trying to be mean, but they can't help him. First of all, they don't know what to do. Second of all, they don't know God. And third of all, they're all afraid of lawsuits coming out of their yin-yang. So what do they do? They walk past him and ignore him while he's whimpering like a little animal in the, a human being, a teenager whimpering like a whipped animal in the corner. That breaks my heart like almost nothing else because Satan has bound him. Demons, he might have opened the door. That's irrelevant. Demons have come. And his life is hanging in the balance. And his eternity is hanging in the balance. And I need somebody that faces those kind of opportunities to not just hand them a card. Hand them the card if you want, because we'd like to disciple them. We'd like them to join the church. But it's got to be bigger than that. You've got to have something inside of you. And I said to him, I said, Quinn, I said, my son, I know you don't have the experience that your daddy's had, but I said, you've got Jesus. I said, wait for the time when God prompts you. Don't do it in the flesh. Wait for that knowing. I said, you've got to put your hand on him somewhere. You've got to tell that devil, come out in Jesus' name. You say, well, I don't think you should be telling your son to do that. That's because your devil, you've got devils inside of you that are thinking those thoughts. That's exactly the instruction I need to be telling my son. And that's exactly the instruction you need to be telling your son. And some of you, if you had told your son that instruction instead of what you told them, they wouldn't be backslidden today. I'm not talking to people in this room. I'm talking to people watching. Because some people, they're so afraid. Oh, don't these young people can't handle. Oh, they can handle more than you think they can handle. You need to turn them loose. They're little lions. Turn them loose. Show them the power of God is real and they won't turn when they get in university. Keep them away from the power of God where it's just a bunch of talk and when the university professor that's full of devils tries to lie about Jesus, they just might listen to him. But when they know the power's real, they'll stand face to face and say no. That's the difference. We can't have these Pentecostal youth groups that just is religious. It's religious. That's all it is. It's about dating and it's about social interaction and they don't get any deposit of power inside of them. They've got to get it. They've got to get it. And I was so proud of him. 
He, he, you know, he's learning. He's not, I would have been more bold. I would have walked right up to him and said, stand up and cast the devil out of him because I know when the anointing comes on me. That's me. Quinn's not me. I don't want him to feel pressure to be me. I want him to be him. I want him to learn to be led by the Holy Ghost because God's in him. And he didn't feel like it would work. Nothing was, then he's walking and he sees them and they're alone and they're off school property and he felt that little, right? He knew the leading of the Spirit. Now is the time. He said, Daddy, I was a little bit nervous. I said, I know, isn't it cool? Isn't it cool? I just love that feeling. It's like you're partly nervous and you're partly... Just let me at him. That's the anointing. That's the anointing. That's not you. That's the anointing coming on you. And he said, I started talking to him. And he wouldn't look at me because they won't make eye contact. And he said, then I said something. And he looked up at me because I said, you're the the words that have been coming to your mind. I'm going to kill myself. He said, those words are from a demon spirit. And he looked at me and he said, I knew I was making a connection with him. And he said, can I touch you? Can I touch you and command that demon to leave you? And he said, okay, always ask. And he said, Daddy, I know that you would have just done this bang on his head. I said, but I didn't feel that was the right thing to do. I said, honey, I don't care. You could touch his toes. Just touch him somewhere. And you don't even have to. You can do it with your word. But I said, you felt to touch him, touch him. And he said, I just put my hand on his shoulder. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I can't tell you how proud I was of him. Because in that little experience, he was an answer to someone. And I'm I'm not letting it go with my faith. I'm believing that I won't say his name over the air, but I know his name, but I'm believing that he's going to get born again. And that was the first seed of, of of many seeds and a harvest for his life. I'm telling you, he's whimpering in the corner like an animal, Greg. And nobody cares. And nobody notices. And all the other kids make fun and mock. And the teachers are oblivious. But there is someone filled with Jesus. And he said to him, he said, I I don't know if I'm quoting him right, but it's something along the Joseph. He said, it is more important for me to help you than it is for you to make fun of me. He said, I'm not like, I'm quoting you, Quinn. He said, I'm not like anybody else in this school. He said, because I have Jesus. He said, I'm different to everybody here and I'm the only hope you've got. I mean, that's the kind of, that's, that's, that, that'll preach. That's good, that's good fighting language. That's good devil-making angry language. The devil, we had a tussle, and I won. Me and the devil, we had a tussle, and I won now. Me and the devil, we didn't agree. I hate the devil, and the devil hates me. Me and the devil, we had a tussle, and I won. Now, when Jesse comes, he's going to play that. Jesse DePlanis, he plays that. He wrote that song. Me and the devil, we had a tussle and I won. I said, my Quinny had a tussle and he won. And don't worry about how it's all going to play out, honey. You don't know the change that has already been affected in his mind. Don't, don't judge him on the outside because he's not lifting his hands and saying hallelujah. Just give it time. Just give it time. How many, how many of you have people in your workplace or people that have children that have nightmares all the time, that have learning disabilities, that are rebellious, that are on drugs, that are out of their mind, that are like lunatics like this young man? If Listen, you're not going to be able to deal with certain things if you just live in your little bubble of your regular life. You've got to take time, not just once in, a, not just once in 10 years. We're starting this because it's going to be the beginning of a new normal. Yeah. 
You've got to spend time with God. You've got to fast and pray. Power will come on you to deal with situations that you could not otherwise deal with. Remember, fasting and prayer does not create faith. Revelation from the Word creates faith. But when you're praying in the Holy Ghost, much of fasting and prayer is praying in tongues. When you pray in tongues, Jude 20, it says your faith is strengthened. Really, fasting, what it all, all fasting does is give your spirit preeminence. That's really all it does. You don't fast to move God's hand. You fast to position yourself for God's power. God is gonna, God's done what He's going to do, and he's, he's, not, he's not moved by us fasting. People think I'm fasting to twist His arm. No, no, it's not the coin of heaven. Faith is the coin of heaven. Fasting will strengthen your faith. It doesn't produce faith. It strengthens what you're, you're praying and your fasting puts your flesh under and makes your spirit preeminent. When your spirit is preeminent, a number of things happen. First of all, you hear the voice of God more clearly. You have, you have revelation of the word more, which produces more faith. You're in the realm of the spirit more. You're more aware of that realm. And you're more because your spirit is king. It's, it's preeminent. You're more aware of your dominion. You know who you are in a greater dimension than when you don't fast. Then when you're in that, your spirit is moving and it's, the, it's, it's preeminent. You understand? Your faith is strengthened and been produced because of the word of God in the fast and the praying. And you come out of that with your spirit just ahead of you like this. That, I don't know how to explain it. Your, your spirit is so strong. You're so aware of who you are in Christ. You're so aware of the devil's utter defeat. You're just so, you're, you're vibrating with power. Then when the devil shows up, now you can handle it. That's why he said you've got to pray and fast to deal with this kind of devil because you've got to know who you are more because this one is, re is resistant. This one, when I was with Alan in Africa, I, I talked to him, Avengers know certain things that other people don't know because of the things that they deal with. And he said, oh, Pastor Gray, he said, deaf spirits are the easiest to cast out. Deaf spirits are, 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 are wimps. He said, you barely even snort at them and they'll run crying and leave. He said, and then he went up in, in, in order of what's getting harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. The dumb spirit, which in Mark's account, this was called a dumb spirit. The dumb spirit, which is also connected to the lunatic spirit, the crazy, psychotic spirit, that is one of the hardest to cast out. They are very resistant, and they will stand their ground and fight you tooth, nail, and claw to stay in that person. But when you've got this preeminence and you've been with God, you don't have to argue with them. Jesus didn't argue. He said, come out, and they obeyed. We are doing this, guys, not just so we can all say, oh, we had a nice little fast. We're doing this because we love him and we want to spend time with him. But we also are doing this to get his power. So we come out and we enter 2021 and we enter a new, a new a building phase. We're in the 13th year. We're adults spiritually now. As a church, we're coming into something new. And we, we come with this power, Greg. And when we hear somebody in our work say a story, something will rise up within you. And you'll say, I'll help you. And you might not normally be that bold, but you wait, you've been with God. Your spirit will almost go ahead of you before your mind can catch up. Your heart will say things before you which your mind doesn't even want to say. You'll offer help and you, why did I do that? I don't want to, I, I can't help them. I, I'm not, I, I don't know, I'm not Pastor Craig. But your spirit was saying, come on, bring it. That's what we need, Jenny. We need, we need lions. We need lions, not pussycats. The devil is playing hardball. And we need a generation of young people that are so bold and so unafraid and so unashamed because the government with all their nonsense, they won't touch kids. They'll try to attack us, but they won't touch because kids have every right under the sun. 
So just that quickly stand up and say, teacher, they tell you to shut up. Now I'm telling you from a different place, shut up. Stand aside. You stand up there. I say in the name of Jesus, come out. Let the devils, oh, Greg, where are the days where the devils shrieked with loud voices and came out with convulsions in the cafeteria? Let the devil shriek in the cafeteria because a young person full of the Holy Ghost says, come out. And let all the teachers gawk. And let all the other ones go, what is going on here? What is this power? What is this? I don't like that shriek. What is going on? Why is he doing that? Why is he convulsing? You shut up. I'm casting the devil out and I'll be with you next because you've got one too. I said you come out of him in Jesus' name. I'm telling you, revival would break out. Because we don't have any Christians that talk this way and act this way and everything's, oh, don't hurt anybody's feelings and oh, be, be diplomatically correct and oh. Whatever happened to the people in the spirit and the power of Elijah that didn't care about offending people, but not to provoke a fight, but are here to help save that which is lost and set free the one bound. We've got to raise people up to do this. Some of you might be looking at me with six heads and go, well, I'm not it. Just keep coming. Eventually, you'll, listen, Brother Hagin said, if you stay playing around the slippery creek bank, eventually you're going to fall in. Please don't leave the church. If you don't want to do this, don't do it. Don't fast. Don't pray. Don't do nothing if you don't want. Just keep coming. Because the longer you come, you're staying around the slippery creek bank. And you can be saying, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Oh, I'm not. And then before you know it, you slipped right in. Your head's gone under and you come up praying in the Holy Ghost saying, Pastor, I don't know what happened, but God's on me. Just keep on coming and you are going to eventually become like us. Right? Hallelujah. Hope you don't mind me saying it, Quinny. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of anybody that's bold. I begged him. I said, Quinny, please bring him here. Bring him. I'll, I'll buy him pizza. I'll buy him Coke. I'll buy whatever he wants. I'll give a feast. Bring him to my house. I can, I, I, I just bring him. I want to hug him. I want to let that anointing go into him. I want him to get born again, spirit-filled. I want his life to change. But I, you can't make somebody come and quit and say, Daddy, that's going to freak him out if he... Nah, 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 nah. Just let me handle it. So I said, okay, honey, you handle it. I said, bring him to the church. Bring him into my office. I'll get that out of him. I'm telling you, I'll get it out of him. I'll get him out. He will not leave till he's free. With his permission. I'm not going to lock him in there. You'll sue me, but with his permission. And he has to sign a form that says, you can pray for me. And if he does all that, I'll, he won't leave. He won't leave the way he came in. But I can't make him come to the church and I can't make him come to my house. So sometimes you just have to trust the person who's on the front line. In this case, it was him. But in the next case, it could be you. It could be you. You could go into a grocery store and somebody could be having an epileptic fit. Do something. Let me tell you one story. Norville is saying, and I got, and Jerry's there, and Joe McCrowski's there, and, and Joe tells it. He's so funny the way he tells it. And he says, Pastor Craig, we're there at the restaurant. It's packed full. I mean, there's not one seat left. And he said, and we're there with Norville, the three of them, and we're eating. And all of a sudden, this lady stands up, a patron, walks to the bathroom, and as she's passing Norville, she does this. 
And then she stops and keeps, and, and he says, and he looks at Joe and he says, you hear that? And if you know Norval, the way he says it is so, did you hear that? And he says, uh, yes, Brother Norval, I heard that. He said, I'm not going to put up with that. I'm just telling you, Joe, I'm not putting up with that. And he said, okay, Norval. And he said, Craig, I start to sweat. <laughs> and he said, she comes on back from the bathroom, and, and she's fine, nice lady. And as she walks past him, she starts to growl like a dog. She goes back to him, and Norval says, Joe, did you hear that? And he goes, yes, Brother Norval, I heard that. He goes, I'm not putting up with that. No, I'm, if she does it one more time, just one more time, Brother Joe, just one more time, I'm casting the devil right out of her. And he said, so Joe said, I start praying, oh God, please, oh God, I don't want to be embarrassed. There's people everywhere, please don't let her come back. Oh God, please don't let her come back. And sure enough, after a while, Norval's eating his food. And that lady decides, well, I don't know if she's going to the bathroom or where she's going. But she decides to come back. You see, she's a nice lady, but the demon in her was responding to the anointing on Norval probably involuntary for her. And she walks back and she looks at him and goes, <laughs> and Joe said, no word, <laughs> Norval jumps up, he tackles the lady, knocks her to the floor. Norval tackles her, knocks her down. A lady knocks her down. He said, I said, Joe, are you, are you kidding me? He goes, he straddled her. He sat right down on her, put her knees there, put her arms there, and sat down her butt on her stomach. He sat right down on her, sat her, and he looked at her, and he pointed at her, and he said, I said, you come out of her, and she's thrashing. Wow. That devil, it took him about, I don't know, three, four minutes. It took him some time. It wasn't as instant. She's, that devil was fighting to stay in, and he was casting. And she said, Joe said, every, it, the, the restaurant, you know what it sounds like with a, 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 a low rumble of talk? He said it was an instant pin drop. Every single person looking, every waitress looking, and she's screaming. The demons are screaming, and Norval doesn't give a rip what anybody thinks. And he's saying, I said, you come out of her. And the, finally, those things came out. And her left face started shining. And he climbs off her. He helps her up. He sits down. Everybody's locked. Everybody's watching. Norval has had a gift. He had a gift of, of disconnection. He did not care. I, I'm not like that. I feel everybody's things very deeply. But he didn't feel anything. He just sat down. Joe's staring, Jerry's staring, everybody's staring. Then he starts eating his food again like nothing happened. And she's kind of staggering there, you know, you know, getting back to her seat. And he, he just acts like nothing happened. <laughs> Grr. Joe, did you hear that? <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, where, where did those days go? And at the same dinner table when he told me that story, Jerry's sitting there, then I said, then Jerry said, oh yeah. He said about, I don't know, 14 to 15, 14, 15 times this has happened to him. He said, I don't know that epilepsy doesn't like me. 15 times Jerry's been in a restaurant and somebody, as soon as they see him, they fall and have an epileptic fit. That's a demon. And, and I said, Jerry, what do you do? He goes, I do what Norval does. I said, I said, you kidding me? He goes, no, I just go and I, I, just, I just get right on top of them because they're on the floor already. He said, I just straddle them and I say, I command you to come out in Jesus' name. I said, you come out in Jesus' name. And I said, how long do you do it for? He said, until they all come out. And he said, every time, 15 out of 15 times, I do that. The whole restaurant's watching. I cast the devils out. I help them up. They're totally free. And I say, God bless you. Jesus loves you. And I go back and I eat my food. And he's done that over a dozen times in public. And most people would run 
Or they would ignore it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. Right? Or they'd summon up the strength with a little Jesus card. Waitress, when the f they finally come out of the frothing, just show them that card. I'm out of here. That's what most people would do. Now, thank God for the Jesus card, but that's not going to help the epileptic. Give them the card after you cast it out of them. But, but we need to get to the place where we are not doing it in the flesh, but when we, we, we are so, where our spirits are so alive unto God, so strong, because we live a lifestyle, not just 40 days, a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. And when we go, God goes with us, Jennifer. And that's not normal being ornery. That's the Holy Ghost in him offended that a demon would... The Holy Ghost not going to let devils do that without dealing with them. See, we've had these older men to teach us. This next generation got to pick it up. We got to pick it up. Because people need help. They need help. They need help. They need, they need Holy Ghost anointed people. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. You've asked us to turn aside. Let us do it. You've told us this is a great privilege that we've been counted worthy to be asked of God. Let us have that attitude forefront on our hearts as we enter the season. Lord, Jesus himself had spent time with you fasting on the mountain. He came in your glory and set people free from bondage. And I believe that, Lord, it's a type and shadow for us that you want us to have a mountain experience. You want us to enter 2021 like new people. You want us to have this reality of God so big on the inside of us that we are looking. We're not just open to it coming by us, but we are, in, we are actually hunting and looking for precious people that need freedom, that need help, that need healing, that need deliverance. That you would use us to help set people free. Jesus, I want this church to be mirror images of Jesus as they go out. I want us, Lord, we laugh and these stories are a bit exciting and a bit extreme, but I'm not saying them for that reason. I'm saying them to deposit something in these people, that they would have a hunger that builds in them. I want to be used of God. I want to be Norval Hayes. I want to be Jerry Savelle. I want to be Quinfield. I want to be like those men. I want... God to use me. I want to feel the anointing come out of my hand and go into their body. I want to feel the power on my lips when I speak words of life. I want God to flow through me. I want to help people, Jesus. I want to help people. I might be an accountant. I might be a taxi driver. I might be a seamstress. My vocation is one thing, but my purpose in life is to worship you and to win souls for the kingdom. And I want power to win those souls. Help me, Jesus, get on the mountain. Help me with fasting and praying so that you can flow through me unhindered. Lord, this is my prayer for them. I believe they can see the passion inside me, but it's the a passion of Jesus. It's not just me being emotional. It's the anointing on me to try to stir them that there's something, an assignment. There's, a, there's an assignment God has for their future, and it's grand. It's awesome. And there's souls waiting on the other side of their obedience. Oh, precious souls waiting. So, Father, I thank you that they receive it tonight. They take it in Jesus' name. They say, yes, me, count me in, Father, put my name on the list. I'm going to do it. Next year, I'm going I'm to turn me loose, Jesus. Next year, you're going to turn me loose. I'm going to help. 
I'm going to do my part for the kingdom. It's not just tithing. It's not just ministry of help. It's not just showing up to church. It's also winning souls. So, Father, I thank you that they get it. They catch it and they receive that impartation tonight. Would you just lift your hands for a quick second? Father, for those in faith, for those that want it, maybe some don't. But Lord, you see the hearts of the hungry tonight. For those that want it, by the uplifted hand, Lord, as, a, as an act of faith, as a point of contact for their faith, I thank you, Father, by that uplifted hand, let that anointing right now, in Jesus' name, let that impartation right now come over them, come upon them, come into them. In the mighty name of Jesus, I thank you for it, Father. And I give you the praise. Hallelujah. In Jesus' mighty name. That anointing is in both my hands. There's like electricity in both my hands right now. Not that I'm looking for that manifestation, but sometimes it comes like that. God's letting me know when you're imparting, son, even though you're not laying hands on them, it's real. For the hungry heart, it goes into them. Praise God. Hallelujah. In the mighty name of Jesus, we give you glory, Father.